Welcome to the First Mass Podcast. Let's join Pastor Paul this week as he continues his sermon series, Lessons from Abraham. Today he's in Genesis chapter 15. Let's listen as he preaches. Good morning. The, the screen is true. Kids can go to children's church if they'd like to go. Helpers should probably get going too. I'm in Genesis chapter 15, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible. Genesis chapter 15 is where, where we find the Lord making some promises to, uh, to Abram. There's, uh, there's this thing about promises. I've been thinking about promises as we've been delving into, I've been delving uh, for longer than y'all into Abraham in his life. Promises require, require more than one side. A promise can't happen in a vacuum, can it? Uh, whether, whether it's a really kind of shallow, meaningless, not meaningless, but, you know, a shallow sort of promise, a, a small promise, whether it's, you know, extending or, or accepting an invitation, or whether it's a very serious promise like vows, that we make at, at weddings, there, there is in a promise, there is the act of promising, and then there is the receiving of a promise. And, and the receiving of a promise, it kind of gets short shrift in, in a lot of our thinking about promise making. We think a lot about the idea of making a promise, putting ourselves on the line for, for having made a promise. But there, there is responsibility that comes with with accepting a promise as well. You, if, if someone promises to loan you a book, which I'm sure I have promised to loan some people here a book, and then weeks have passed by, and I have not loaned you that book. At that point, as the, the acceptor of the promise, you have a few options. You can continue to trust in the promiser, who is proving to be very unfaithful to his word, or you can go to the library and get the book for yourself. Or, or you can bother the promiser again. You know, often what we think if, if someone makes a promise and then doesn't come through is they were just offering to be nice and they didn't really mean it. If I offered to loan you a book, I really meant it. I just forgot. I'm sorry. It's just that I am a frail, not good promiser and I didn't write a note down and so I forgot. So, there, there is responsibility, though, on the, on the side of accepting a promise. There, there, is, there are promises that if we accept them, we are a fool, right? Uh, we are in serious dialogue in our home right now. Serious, serious dialogue. I'm sweating as I say it. We are in serious dialogue about a dog coming into our home. And, and it would only be a fool who would accept the promise, I'll take care of it, right? That would, if I believed that promise, hook, line, and sinker, I would be a fool. And so there are promises that it, to accept those promises, and, and there are varying degrees of this, right? There are varying degrees to which we, we accept a promise, and, and there, there's a time frame on some promises, too. You know, if an insurance company told you on Friday that they're going to call you on Monday, you're probably in good standing. By Tuesday, that is a broken promise, and, and corrective action should be taken because you have been lied to, right? Like, we, there, are, there is a timeline on, on promises, 
Today we're looking at promises that God delivered to, to Abram that weren't delivered necessarily to us. But it, it gets me thinking about the promises that we receive from God. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, I am not a person who hears audibly from the Lord. I, I have never heard from God a promise directly to me. I have sensed God calling me in specific directions. I have, I have through circumstances, understood God's will for my life and for me. But I, I am not someone who hears audibly God say, I'm going to give you this land, Paul, the way that Abram experiences God's promises in, in the book of Genesis. But there are some promises of God that are, are given to all of humanity that we need to be attentive to and that we can insert our names into these promises and understand that they are for us. God has promised to everyone who would accept from him to, that, that we could experience salvation. And salvation is this experience of being called the, the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God are, are guaranteed, are given the promise of the, the inheritance that belongs to the children of God. The inheritance of, that belongs to the children of God, this is, this is the promise of Scripture. The inheritance that belongs to the children of God is eternity with God. And an eternity with God that begins now. An eternity with God that begins the moment we accept that promise that we could be God's sons and daughters. And so when we begin in that, in that eternal existence with God right now, it means God's spirit comes and dwells within us. And it doesn't end there, but God's spirit dwells within us so that we could experience, we could live out what God's spirit would have his human being creations live like, that we would be full of what we call the fruits of the spirit, of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That, that we would exhibit these things in the world and reflect God's goodness to the world. These are the promises of God that, that we can all say, I've, I've received that promise. That promise is written in Scripture for me because that promise is written in Scripture for anyone who will accept it, for anyone who will say, I believe that promise. That promise is for, for us. And so we are, we are today, we're going to take a deep dive into Genesis 15, and we're going to look a little bit at Genesis 16 as well. And in these, in, these prom, in these passages, there are probably four, five, six, maybe eight promises. Um, there, are, there are a handful of promises to, to Abram here, but there's a few that are, that are specifically important, and a few that I want to highlight, and a few that that God really comes out and says, this is the thing, Abram, for you. And to each of these promises that, that God offers to Abram, Abram is a different response. So we, we should get into Genesis 15. Before we get into Genesis 15, you need to know a little bit of the context. Right before the action of Genesis 15, Abram has done this pretty impressive thing. He's moved out of the country of his parents, out of the city of Haran, which if you remember my little map, it's on the north end of the Fertile Crescent, and he's moved south into the Promised Land. And, and by no fault of his own, his nephew Lot has been captured. He's been captured by some neighboring kings. 
uh, who, who were at war in Lot. This, this battle, this war that was going on, it had nothing to do with Abram and Lot. And Lot was captured and taken away. And he was taken as, as like a prize after this, this battle had been fought. The king that, that Lot was living closest to had been defeated. And so as, as, a, as a privilege of, of winning war, the king has just taken Lot and his family away and all of Lot's possessions. And, and so Abram is just from within his house, he's able to muster this really powerful army. He's able to muster this really powerful army. He goes up and he beats up on King Abimelech who has taken Lot and, uh, and he, he takes Lot back and, and Lot and Abram return to the, to the land where God had promised them and that they were, they were living in. Uh, Abram goes and meets Melchizedek, the priest king, the king of Salem, and he make, gives an offering to the Lord, uh, giving, giving uh, a tenth, a tithe of all that he'd recovered from Lot's captors. And Abram is, is really revealed in, in these passages, these, in chapter 14, to be a force in his world. He, he has become this sort of king on his own right. He is, the, the kings in those days were kind of city-state kings. And Abram has become a pretty powerful guy in the neighborhood and able to, to go and defeat a, a king who had already won a war. Abram goes and defeats him. And, and so... God speaks into Abram's faith in, in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, 1, we read that it's, it's sometime later. So Genesis 15, 1 says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and, re- uh, and your reward will be great. And we're going to see in just a second, if you, oh, you're going to read on to verse 2. Don't read on to verse 2. Abram, Abram is going to whine. Abram's going to whine. What, what's, the, what's the best human response to a great promise of God? Whining. And so Abram, Abram finds a reason to say, so what? In verse 2 and 3, he says, But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be an heir. When we look at the promise of verse 1, promise of protection, promise of reward, we see a promise that Abram, frankly, he doesn't really need from God. He's doing, he's doing all right. <laughs> he, has, he has mustered an army to defeat Abimelech. He is, he is a strong person in his own right. Protection, he's, he seems like he's doing, he's doing okay. And, and so Abram hears this promise from God, and he says, well, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. But if I amass all this wealth, and if I'm going to be protected, my reward's going to be great, God. I don't have anybody to carry on my legacy. You know, I'm, I'm starting to think, God, now it's time to start thinking about legacy here. It's time to start thinking about what's coming after me. And, and shouldn't shouldn't all that you reward me with, God, shouldn't it go to somebody that's more important than just like a servant that I've picked up in Damascus? Like shouldn't, there, shouldn't there be something more? And God, God responds to Abram with an incredible promise. Abram whines. It's like his whining worked. And God, God promises, well, let's read verses 
4 through 6, we read, Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Can you believe it? Abram's whining worked. <laughs> I, I don't know that my whining with God works particularly, but Abram has this special touch with God, and he, and he says, oh God, what's the point of, of being protected in the land if I'm just going to give all my stuff to a servant? And the Lord says, all right, you want an heir? I'll give you an heir. Here, I'm, I'm going to promise, I'm going to promise this. And, and deep, deep at the heart of, of this, I see a promise that Abram is already receiving. Now let's be, let's look at the worldview of Abram for, for just a minute. In Abram's time, war wasn't just an army going out to face another army. Abram and his neighbors, he believes that when, when they went to war, it was, it was the army of, in, against the army, but really it was the gods against the gods. The gods were, were directing the armies, and the gods were giving armies success and, or were not strong enough to give armies success. And so according to Abram's own worldview, he would have seen his victory against Abimelech uh, when, when he rescued Lot. He would have seen that as God's hand providing for him. He would have seen, God has already been doing this thing for me. And so when, when the Lord says, hey, Abram, congratulations on your big victory over Abimelech. There is more where that's coming from. Abram just sort of shrugs. He shrugs. He says, well, well God, protection's not all it's cracked up to be. And, and then when God promises what, what seems to be impossible, this, this child, an heir of his own, and more heirs than the stars in the sky, more descendants than the stars in the sky, Abram completely but quietly believes and accepts the promise. There, Abram doesn't have any words recorded. There's no dialogue from Abram in these verses, right? We are just we, Scripture reveals Abram's heart to us, this sort of uh, narrator that, that tells us what's happening without Abram having to, to say anything. He just quietly, he, he receives this promise and believes it. And, and God, knowing Abram's heart, uh, he counts Abram as righteous because of his belief. I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this idea of being righteous because of belief. I think, I think this is a really hard thing in, in the Christian faith and in, in the life of faith to understand that believing makes us acceptable to God. That God doesn't, I don't, I don't know if God doesn't want people who, who move mountains for God, but what God really is looking for, what God calls righteous, what God lifts up as an example, and Abram is going to be an example for us for the rest of Scripture, is, is simply someone who believes when, when it doesn't look like there's a lot of reason to believe. Here is an old man far away from his hometown with a wife who hasn't been able to conceive Abram believes that God is going to come through with a child. 
And that faith, that belief, is, is what God wants. God says, that makes you right with me. That is the thing that, that I want from my human creations, is just that you would believe that, that I could do what I've said I, I would do. And, and Abram's belief is righteousness. I, I talked about it last week. We're going to look at, at Genesis 16. It, it comes right before Abram does this sort of faithless thing of taking Hagar to, to have an heir. It, it, comes, it comes right before that. God knew that that was how Abram was going to respond. God knew what was coming next. There's no doubt about it. And even knowing even knowing that Abram was not going to act on his faith for the whole time, God says, Abram's got a heart that, that I call righteous. And, and still, for his belief in that moment, God says, Abram is, is a righteous person. Abram is showing us just human nature so clearly right? We're dissatisfied with what we already have. <laughs> we, we have something and we say, oh, there's probably better. Uh, and then a willingness to believe against all odds for the thing that we really want. Meanwhile, God is on a roll making promises, so God keeps making promises. In, in verses 7 and 8, we read some more promise in response. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? So promise number one, the promise of, of safety. Abram sort of shrugs, says, eh, what's the point? Promise number two, promise of a baby. The, Abram just believes it wholeheartedly, goes, goes full on believing, you know, he is in 100%. Promise three, the promise of land, all of a sudden, Abram wants to know what God's qualifications are to be able to offer this sort of promise. How, how are you really going to come through on this one, God? Really? And God doesn't seem upset with Abram at this point. Like, I think if most of us were in God's shoes, if we were having this conversation with like a friend or a coworker or a child, and we were God and we had the power to just zap somebody and make them disappear, here I am offering all of these things to you, God. And, and Abram is just sort of thumbing his nose at each, at each promise, at, at each thing. He's just kind of like, okay, well, can you put that in writing? And, and uh, God is just so, so good to Abram in this moment. God, God doesn't just have patience, but God is fully committed to, to being kind to Abram, to giving Abram what he wants, more, you know, way beyond, way beyond what Abram deserves. And so we read God's kindness to, to Abram. I'm going to read a big chunk now, verses 9 through 21. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. 
Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Interesting detail there, right? I don't know why that one's there. That'd be an interesting one for further study. The vultures. As the, that'd probably be a good sermon. You could make a sermon out of the vultures coming to get your offering. Sorry, Norma. Uh, as, the, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Another detail that I don't, I don't know what to do with, darkness in this. Because in a little bit, there's going to be more darkness. There's a terrifying, terrifying darkness. Terrifying darkness overcomes him. So Abram has like every, he is vulnerable in, in this. He's asleep and, and a terrifying darkness uh, came down over him. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Not sounding like a great promise so far, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, this is parenthetical, verse 15. It's in, it's in parentheses. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Okay, I made a big deal last week, this, this idea that Abram's been called out of his father's house to live as a foreigner in a foreign land. This is a crazy, crazy ask on God's behalf. This is not safe for Abram. This is not a wise thing to do. Abram going away from his father's house, this is dangerous stuff. So when the Lord promises ripe old age, death in peace, your neighbors aren't going to kill you, man. That's like a huge promise, but I don't think we should, we can't, we can't underestimate it. Verse 16, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here. After four generations, your descendants will, be, will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, see, Abraham had already fallen into a terrible darkness. But then the sun goes down, and Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Flaming pot, smoking torch, uh, these, are, these are obvious representations of God. In, in Scripture, God is often represented by flame. Uh, most notably, the, the clearest example would be when Moses is called to the burning bush, the bush that's not, burn, that's not being consumed. It's on fire in the desert. It's not being consumed. And, and Moses is, thinks that's so weird, and so he approaches it, and God's voice speaks out of it. But God's, God's presence shows up at fire as fire uh, when the temple is, is um, blessed and, and Solomon prays and fire comes down. God's presence is fire, a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. God's presence receives the offering of Elijah on top of Mount Carmel as this, this incredible fire coming down, licking up even the rocks on which the sacrifice was laid. So very, very typical, very clear picture of God's presence here in, in uh, verse 17. In verse 18, Genesis goes on, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. 
all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Kezizites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gershites, and Jebusites. These, uh, in, and so in response to, to God wanting, or to Abram wanting to know God's qualifications, in response to, to Abram saying, well, how am I really going to know? How do I know if I can possess this land? The Lord makes this, this solemn promise. This is a doubling down on the promise that God has made. God cannot adequately express the solemnity of this, the, the, the seriousness with which he is taking the promise he is making in words alone. And so he goes to ceremony. It, we have varying levels of, of seriousness in the promises we make, right? Like there's a handshake and, and then there's like a memorandum of agreement and then there's, you know, this, the contract written by the lawyer and notarized. And, and then there's vows before God and friends and family, right? The, there, there are, we, we have these varying degrees. God goes to making a covenant, perhaps the, the most serious agreement that could be made between two parties in, in Abram's time. And so this is, this is what we read, this sort of strange, strange ceremony for creating a covenant. Um, the typical process would have been that the, the parties would have brought some animals and they would have sacrificed the animals. They would have agreed on the terms that they were agreeing to. They would have, they would have sacrificed the animals. They would have cut them, laid them on either side, and both parties would have walked through saying what their responsibility was. The, the symbolism and maybe even the words of the covenant making are that may... May I be like these dead animals if I don't follow through with my word. I am putting my life on the line to do what I say I am going to do in this commitment. I am willing to die if I don't do what, what I say I am willing to do. And so God passes through the, the animals saying, I am putting myself on the line to do what I'm promising to do. And, and God's words are, the land is yours. Your descendants will live in this place. And, and the act would normally be done of walking between the animals. The act would normally be done by, by both parties. But here's Abraham, asleep, with a terrifying darkness over him, and then the sun goes down. He, he is defenseless. He, he has no, no means with which he can respond to what God is doing in this moment. He has no way of getting up. He, he, is, he is in a deep sleep. He is not going to get up in this moment. God does not expect Abram to do anything in response to this covenant making. God says, I'm going to go through and I'm going to make this promise. And God has no expectation of Abram except for to receive the promise. God takes full responsibility, full responsibility. Abram doesn't respond. There's no, there's no response. There, there's no words from Abram. There's not even, the narrator doesn't even tell us like what goes on in Abram's heart in this moment. You know, in, in verse six, we at least hear God made the promise of a child and Abram believed it and God counted him as righteous because of his belief. Here, He's still asleep. 
I mean, we, don't, we get nothing. In the next chapter, it just it kind of moves on in the story. Abram just received, he's a passive recipient of this promise. He's asked. The, the land promise was initially made, and, and Abram asked, really, God? How could you do that? How do I know that I'm going to get it? God doubles down on the promise, and, and Abram is just, he just kind of lies there like a lump on the log, right? He just, he's just out. He's a passive, passive participant in this. What we witness from Abram from this point on, though, is, is faithfulness to receive it. Abram refuses to go back to Haran, to, to where he left his, his father's house. When it comes time for, for Isaac to get a wife, he wants a wife from back in the home country. But Abram refuses to go himself to find a wife. He sends a servant and he refuses to let Isaac go either. He tells his servant, Isaac must never return back there because God has promised us this land. This is where God wants us. We're going to stay here. So I guess Abraham is pretty faithful to, to this, word, this, this promise. In Genesis 15, though, it, it just sort of ends with that great promise. And, and Abram he should have every reason to believe, right? This is God who has already been protecting him, who he heard call him out of his father's house, who, who has made these promises of, of an heir, who has put himself on the line. God has put himself on the line by making a covenant that he didn't expect Abram to, to take any, any responsibility in the covenant. And, and so we kind of think that Abram should just like chill out and watch and see what God does, you know? Like, don't we talk like that sometimes? Like, let's just see what God does. Maybe, Abram, maybe this is just time to just, just pump the brakes a little, Abram, and just, just wait and see what God does. And that, you know, maybe that would work for most people, but Abram and Sarah are different. And so, in chapter 16, we, we read a new, a new chapter in their story. And, and it begins in... Uh, Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave him her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Verse 4, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and, be, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. When Sarai said, then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. I don't know that that's ever uh, borne out, actually. Um, just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, verse 6, Abram replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Such a great marriage moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, my wife's not here. I got to keep moving. Uh, then Sarai uh, treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Sarai goes in, or Hagar goes into the wilderness, and and the Lord deals with her there. It's another story for another day. In fact, it's the story we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at the wilderness in in Abram's story. Uh, God uses wilderness in a unique way throughout Scripture. It's it's one of the themes of Scripture that I love. This idea of the wilderness being a place where God does some pretty amazing things for, for God's people. But that again, that's a story for another day. So the story continues, though, our, for us, for our purpose. The story really, we can just jump all the way to verse 15 and read the last little paragraph of the chapter. It says, So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. As we'll read on, we'll understand Ishmael is not the blessing that Abram thought Ishmael was going to be. It's, it's kind of a frustrating story. It's, it's one of those tensions in scripture that just like eats at us. We, we never really understand why God allows things to happen the ways that they happen. And this is a, a weird one uh, that, that historically, even to today, is, is kind of hard to wrap your mind around all of the implications of, of this. And, and, uh, in, in the passage that we've looked at, though, uh, we, we see some of the classic responses to God's grace. God, God offering protection and Abram saying, yeah, who needs it? God offers a child, God takes him at his word, uh, then finds a human way to fulfill God's promise, right? Uh, it's just what he does. And, and then God offers land and Abram wants a signed contract. The, the, these are patterns that, that we see in human life. This, these are patterns that like, you have seen in your own friends and in your own life if you're willing to admit it. We undervalue the things that we already have. We undervalue them. Uh, m- many of us have accepted the gift of salvation. We've accepted God's presence in our lives. And, and we fail so often to, to recognize what an incredible gift God has given us in simply wanting a relationship with you and with me. This is a gift that God has given us. God has given Jesus to die on the cross for us. And, and we accept it and, and we, we say, well, God loves everybody. I'm not that special. We, we forget that God has, this is life for us and life eternal Eternal life that begins now is God promises his presence with us to sustain us through this life. This is why gratitude is so important for us. Abram is a classic example of ingratitude for something that God has already given him. I'm going to protect you, Abram. Look at what I've already done to protect you. And Abram kind of shrugs. Big, big whoop. This is why we, we need to be grateful we need to be grateful for the gift of salvation. We need to be grateful for all that God has done on our behalf. This is why we are grateful before a meal we eat, even when we have enough money to buy groceries. 
to remind ourselves that every good gift we have is from the hand of God. Thank you, God. May we never be ungrateful for, who, for what God has given us. And, and in, our, in our ingratitude, we often forget that the, the good things we are experiencing now are probably actually better than the things we think we're waiting for. <laughs> They're probably better gifts than the things we think, if I only had that, then I'd really be happy. Because another pattern that, that Abram begins, and, and we see it in our own lives, I, I think, we see it all around us, is, is this tendency to, to have all kinds of faith in the things that we really want to have happen. Now, I'll admit it. I, I think I am more likely to believe that a miracle is going to happen on my behalf than I think it's going to happen on somebody else's behalf. We, we, when we really want something, we you know, we, we are good, especially in the church, we're good at wrapping God around that thing we really want and saying, God is going to give me that gift. I, I think these are the areas where God can, if we're, if we're sensitive to it, if we're looking at our own hearts and if we're reflecting on what we really want and what we're believing God for, I think these are moments where we can have the idols in our lives revealed. Uh... I'll give you, I'll use the, the lowest hanging fruit as an example. Uh, probably one that we all deal with, like the, the promise of wealth. Like scripture, scripture doesn't promise wealth to believers. There, there is like real wisdom in scripture for, for having enough, <laughs> but scripture just doesn't, doesn't promise great wealth. When we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to make us wealthy because that is a promise of God, wealth may be an idol for us. Uh, we can do this with all kinds of things. We can do this with all kinds of things. When we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to provide the perfect partner for life for us, maybe a partner is becoming an idol. We, we do it with, with all kinds of things. And, and to avoid meddling, I'm not going to give any more examples, but you, you know, you, you know the areas that we really believe God for these things. We're really trusting in, even though scripture doesn't promise us those things. Uh, and, then, and then the other pattern that begins here in, in Abram's story is this pattern of of demanding a security for God's promises that we haven't seen yet. Uh, anybody prayed for a sign? You know, Lord, if I'm going to get that promotion, let it rain on Tuesday. I know, God, that you're going to come through and give me what I want if, if it's really, really, if it rains a little bit on Tuesday, God. I'd, I'll know that I know, and then I can really trust you. Uh, God just doesn't owe us. <laughs> Sorry. Abram gets it. Abram gets what he wants. He gets the sign he wants. He gets the promise right there. Uh, that's not a pattern that we observe in human life. Sorry. I, I, I think these, these patterns exist as we, as we receive God's promise. Um, as, as I've walked with people living the Christian life, I've seen it, seen it in my own life. 
But Abram's story reminds us there's no promise of God so great that we aren't above trying to make it come true for ourselves. Uh, Abram, Abram believes God and God counts him as righteous because he believes that God is going to give him an heir. And then the very next story, the very next story, is Abram finding Hagar, finding a way to, to help God, just help God a little bit, right? Uh, returning to the promises that, that I, I think are given to all of us, these, this promise of salvation to anyone who would accept it, the promise of God's presence in our lives that would make us full of the fruit of the Spirit, we're good at believing those promises. We're also really good at, at making the list of requirements that will show why we are saved. Well, I, I do this, this, and this, so I'm saved, of course, you know. We, we grit our teeth really hard and say, I will be patient. <laughs> We're just, we're just like Abram. We're finding our, our own Hagar to just help God along a little bit. Um, so this is a sermon about, about how we receive God's promises. But the, that's not really what this sermon is about. Because we see, we see how Abram reacts here. We see, we see Abram and we see ourselves so much in Abram right? And, and scripture is a great mirror for us at times. It's a great, great looking glass for us to see, man, that is me. But this, this passage in this sermon, this, this is a sermon about God's grace. This is, this is a sermon about, about God treating Abram better than he deserves. God, God can be mysterious and, and confounding. And God's will can be really hard to discern for us at times. God, it, it can be really hard for us to know what, what is the right next step in this situation, God? What is wisdom for me? God's grace means that God is always wanting to treat us better than we deserve. There's a, there's a, a, a really confounding sub-point sub to this, is that God treats other people better than they deserve to. <laughs> but remember, they have to see it when God treats us better than we deserve. God treats us better than we deserve. When we fail to be grateful for all that God has done for us, God treats us better than we deserve. When we demand a signed contract from God, because we have to know that we know, and we disbelieve that God will come through on our behalf, God treats us better than we deserve. When we faithlessly create a human way to do what we don't think God is going to do, God treats us better than we deserve. 
Today, I don't know if, if maybe you're waiting for God to do something for you. Maybe, maybe you are trusting in God for something and it just doesn't, doesn't seem to be happening. Or, or maybe, maybe you are in, in a time in your life where, where just simply believing is difficult. I'd encourage you that even, even Abram, who is lifted up from, from this point on in Scripture, even in the midst of God offering these promises to him in visions, <laughs> he has these, these moments of, of not being able to believe. And, and as he has those moments, God treats him better than he deserves. And as you are walking through these moments, right now, God's grace is reaching out to you, offering you more than you deserve, offering you another chance Offering you forgiveness again. Offering you his spirit that will, that will grow his fruit in your life. You don't deserve it. None of us do. God is offering it to you. Because that is the God of Abraham. That's our God. And, and so, uh, you know, today, today's a really hot day. Um, it's not a good day to work very hard. And, and so I don't, I don't really want you to work hard today. I'd, I'd like for you to rest. To, to just rest in the grace of God. To accept that God loves you more than you deserve. Wants to treat you better than you deserve. Is reaching out with his spirit which is greater than you deserve. And so, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to tell you to go home and don't work. Why don't you stand I don't know if there might be somebody here this morning who is, who is having a, a moment of realizing that there are promises of God to you and you've never realized it before. You've never realized before that, that the God of Abraham has offered to make you his son or daughter. The God of Abraham, the, the God of Jesus, has sent Jesus so that you could have a relationship with him. That you could begin today to experience eternal life with him. If, if you've not accepted that or understood that before, today would be a great day to just, to just rest in that promise. To accept it. Accepting it means that we walk in it, that we, we begin to take steps of faith. Um, it's, it's not completely passive acceptance, but it's, it's an acceptance that, that seeks more, seeks more of God's grace, more of God's kindness and goodness.
So this morning, if that's you, pray with me. Receive and accept his grace for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our God who promises to us, our God who is better to us than we deserve, hear us this morning as we pray. We ask, Lord, that you would give us faith. Faith like Abram in chapter 15, verse 6. (laughs) Faith to believe. Faith to accept. Faith to trust. That your will for us is better than our own will for ourselves. Faith to believe that that you would treat us better than we deserve. Faith to understand that eternal life can begin now. We we know we don't deserve it. And, And we know that's why it's grace. And so, Lord, um, we, we sense that we can't do it without you, that we need, to, we need to experience your grace by the power of, of your spirit working in us. So God, we ask that you would, you would just open our hearts, help us, Lord, to open our hearts and accept your kindness to us, your goodness and your mercy. May, may we respond by each day stepping in deeper and deeper to your kindness, your goodness, and grace, and mercy. We believe this is who you are. We believe this is who you are, and so walk with us in it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, receive a benediction from from Genesis 15, 6, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. As your faith waxes and it wanes, may you walk in certain trust that God is treating you better than you deserve. Go in his grace. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person soon at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.